This is the AtU2.com podcast for July 6, 2020, talking all things U2, including album news, tour dates, and community discussions from the staff of AtU2. Before we jump into the discussion, I want to let you know that you can find links to items we discuss in this episode at www.goodstuff.fm.com. Let me do that again www.goodstuff.fm slash at u2 slash 107. And I know there's been some uh, confusion about the episode numbers as we've been releasing them. That's because of the two-part commentary track that we released uh, a couple months ago for the experience video, a tour video. Um, but now we're going to try and properly align all the episode numbers so that there's no more confusion. This is episode 107. Next one will be 108 and so on and so forth. And if you're not already subscribed to the At You 2 podcast, you can find the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you currently listen to podcasts. I'm Colin Suter, and joining me are uh, Ian Ryan. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sherry Lawrence. Get your head out of the mud, baby. Go <laughs> overground. All oh, right. wrong. Sorry. <laughs> and Mason Merritt. Hello. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And we're going to talk about the launch of Sirius XM, the U2's uh, Sirius XM station, which launched uh, earlier this week or last week. Uh, and to take a look at the deep cut Fez being born off the No Line on the Horizon album. Before we do that, we're going to jump into a little bit of news. Uh, Edge and Adam both gave interviews uh, last week in which they both expressed uh, interest in doing a zoo TV slash Octung baby tour of some kind in the near future. And for the 30th anniversary of Octung baby, do you guys see that as I, I've said this? And I think in the last episode that I, I don't see this happening next year at all, but that that's just me being very pessimistic. I would love to eat my words and be totally wrong about that. What do you guys think? Uh, Sherry, what do you, what, what, what do you think about all that? I don't think we're going to see anything remotely close to that in 2021, at least not in North America, the way that uh, the virus is raging here. It's going to, need to clear out long enough to get 60 plus year old men who are worth a billion dollars or more within the industry to risk them getting up on stage in front of 70,000 people in a stadium or 20,000 people inside of an arena. I think that the insurance people won't uh, insure that tour anytime soon. So my uh, uh, bets are off for 2021. I'd, I'd be hopeful for 2022 if things change. Um, I would certainly go to it um, only if um, I'm not risking my life and, and bringing it home to my children. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, Ian. What what do you think? Uh, similar. Um, I doubt we're going to see anything for the next year and a half minimum, um, especially with uh, how the U.S. is approaching it. Uh, in particular, this is one of their primary. Um, income drivers uh, touring in the U.S., and right now that is not a wise idea. Yeah. Uh, Mason, do you have any thoughts on this? It's a, kind of a lot like asking if uh, if you want to go surfing in the middle of a hurricane. It's just uh, not in the near, not really in the near future. To, as I work in a, in a somewhat event-oriented space, and we're, we're, take, we're pretty much writing off 2020, and then with every day, 
as this all progresses, he could probably take off a week in 2021. And I'm in, I mean, I'm in no rush. Like Sherry said, it's putting anybody's health on the line and then insurance. It's just, it's a bad idea. I think we all need to kind of write off these next two years as far as big uh, events go. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems so just like so long ago when such a thing was possible. Um, I mean, just adjusting to, you know, quarantine and, and all of this. Uh, I mean, uh, the idea of going to a big show right now is, I think, feels people with a different kind of stress than they're used to about going to a big show. I, I, I think, you know, waiting till 2022 uh, certainly is, is, is a likely scenario, um, you know, at the very earliest. And then it would be just it would be a zoo TV anniversary tour, which I'm fine with. Like, yeah, they should do an anniversary of zoo TV because that was a groundbreaking tour, and it it, it changed the well, way they, it, they toured Joshua Tree in 2019. Uh, I mean, what happened in in 1989? Uh, you right. had singles off of Rattle and Hum, so I don't think that it needs to be year specific. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, they've well, proven with Joshua Tree that they can just kind of tour whenever they feel like touring and and be successful at it, and people will come. So yeah, and people yeah. are going to get it. They're not going to be like, well, Octung Baby was out in 1991, so why aren't you doing it in 2021? Yeah, I think we all have a greater awareness of what's going on, and yeah, yeah, it's it'd be nice, you know, for the OCD and us all to do it on the exact anniversary. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, or why not fine. do it as a double bill in 2023 and do both Octung Baby and Zuropa, seeing as as their bookends, yeah, of each other. Yeah, they can. Yeah, I think the the precedent is important because um, if they had decided to do Joshua Tree in like uh, 2018 or 2019 rather than 2017, then it would have looked like a straight up money grab rather than just uh, the 30th anniversary uh, retrospective tour. Uh, but now that they've kind of got that precedent down, um, yeah, as Sherry said, it does open up more wiggle room for them to uh, just go for it as they can. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I have concerns about is you two is a marquee act. They are somebody who you know if you're going to put on a, 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 for lack of a better term, greatest hits tour, people will come out to see the whole of the Octane Baby album, just like they came out for the whole of Joshua Tree. You've got an industry that is hurting massively right now mm. financially. You've got all these roadies. You've got all elements of the industry that just came to a screeching halt. So I would imagine that bands like you 2 are going to be pressured to get out on the road when it is safe to do so in order to regenerate the industry and to bring jobs back and to bring all of that other stuff back. So I'm not doubting that that you two will be <laughs> not on the road. I mean, I believe that they will be in this capacity when the time is right. Um, I mean, I just went, when was it, last weekend to see that Garth Brooks at the drive-in um, event. First, I thought it was like a real show. And then I realized, well, my drive-in doesn't have Wi-Fi, so how could they possibly stream it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I had a little aha moment about 15 minutes into the show when I'm going, this is a movie. Um, but that was, you know, another marquee American act trying to figure out how we generate some sort of communal bond of um, camaraderie and in sharing of the music. Um, it was weird because there was no back and forth with the crowd. You knew he was performing to an empty arena. 
So, I mean, I don't see you two doing that type of thing anytime soon. Certainly not. Um, I probably won't go back to another drive-in movie style music experience because it just didn't feel like a show. It, it just felt like I was just sitting in my car watching a movie while you have like maybe three cars behind me screaming, yeah, friends in low places. And that was about <laughs> it. You know, there was no back and forth. There was no energy. Um, so I, I know that the industry is trying to figure it out. I mean, you've got bands like Inhaler that had to cancel their, their U.S. tour. You've got bands everywhere that's having to cancel their tours and people who just yell at you if you're not socially distancing or wearing a mask in a concert venue. So I, I don't think anytime soon until we can get a handle on what's going on with the COVID stuff. Uh, but like I said, I really believe that you 2 will be one of those acts when everybody gives the okay that it's healthy to do it, that will go out there with gusto and, and regenerate the industry in the way that it needs to be. Yeah, I, I, I was really curious about the Garth Brooks thing because I'm a drive-in movie goer. I, I, you know, going to the drive-in is is a summer thing for me. I go a lot, and uh, but you got to be very forgiving of the presentation when you're watching a movie, and it's well. You know, but you paid a hundred dollars. That's, that's for what your I'm vehicle. wondering about. Like the hundred dollar okay. price so tag you paid is paid hundred bucks for your car. Originally, I was just going to go, but I'm like, shoot, if I'm paying 100 bucks, I'm just piling my whole family into the car. Yeah. My kids could, could have cared less. They were in the back seat playing on their Nintendo Switches and just happy enough that I got them ice cream and a slush puppy, you know? Um, and and my husband was in the passenger seat watching on Periscope. I'm like, you mean to tell me I could have stayed home and just watched this on Periscope? <laughs> Who has signal at what drive-in? Right. Because drive-ins are like in the middle of like freaking nowhere. So. Yeah. Hundred bucks for the for the vehicle. I spoke with the uh, uh, one of the management people at our drive-in that we went to, and he said that they basically got paid a rental fee for use of their facility. They didn't make any more doing a a quote unquote sold out uh, 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 event where they had six hundred cars. So six hundred cars times a hundred dollars per car. That's what six. $60,000 right there, mm -hmm. but they didn't get to keep hardly any of that. They got a rental fee. He said, we make more on a Saturday night showing a double feature than we are by hosting this as an event. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. They were hoping to make their money on the concession stands, but there wasn't any merchandise you could buy. You had to go on to garthbrooks.com in order to get the event merchandise. But what ticked me off was, of course, you got to wait until it's dark. You have an 11 p.m. curfew, so they can't go past 11. The the Garth part started at 9:34 p.m. and it was done by 10:47. Oh. I paid 100 bucks to watch seven music videos from a um, from a lesser known artist and a what a a 70 minute concert video. 100 mm. bucks. Yeah, I'm not doing that again. 
No, and and I I that's what I'm getting at is that is that you know uh, the drive-in experience is a is is it's fun, but it's a lesser cinematic experience than going to an actual theater and and getting the full surround sound and everything. And so that's what I was getting at was about being forgiving when you're going to the drive-in. Like the movie should be secondary, and the experience of going to the drive-in is 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 primary. But when you're paying a hundred bucks, that should I mean that 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 is insane. Like that, I mean that, I mean the price tag of that is insane for what you get in return even if it is your favorite artist or whatever uh it's it's a lot to ask um of your of your fans and i know yeah like you said everybody's trying to figure it out right now and you know uh, somebody was going to dive in with this idea at some point eventually and uh i'm glad it was him and not you too <laughs> just just because i don't want them to have to deal with any backlash uh, against it if it if it all you know went to hell so I, I will say that if science comes through with a massive new breakthrough in 3D screen technology and we can have 3D movies at the drive-in. Oh, you can I have 3D movies at the drive-in. You can? Oh, yeah, I've oh, seen 3D movies 3D. at the drive-in. <laughs> I saw Spy Kids 3D ah. at the drive-in. It was pretty cool. <laughs> it was. It was pretty awesome. So it can be done. Um Okay, but the big news story, of course, was the launch of U2's Sirius XM channel, which they promoted on the last leg of the Joshua Tree tour in 2019. 210 days after they promoted it in a country that doesn't have Sirius XM. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not complaining. Yeah, we all, we all remember what a, what a weird morning that was when we all stayed up to see, what are they going to say? It's going to be a big announcement. What? That's it? I, the funny thing is, I was uh, that night. I specifically remember I was at a red carpet, packed together like sardines, and you know, so it was a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but it launched on July first, and um, a lot of different shows, a lot of variety, a lot of guests. I'm gonna play a little quick sample of some of the stuff that's been on the show. Or on the channel so far. In God's country. YouTube X Radio. Adam Clayton. This was a homage to a country that we had come to love and a landscape that we'd come to love. Uh, Bono here on YouTube X Radio. Uh, this program is Bono calling. I'm I'm going to dial up one of the more interesting people I know and ask about seven questions. Yes, I mean. Conan O'Brien once said to me, I like you. You always do well because you have the decency to be scared. This is a great interview. Hello there. Welcome to U2X Radio. I am Tim from Fresno, California, and I'll be hosting five of my favorite U2 songs, the songs I desire most. Mr. David Byrne. David, it's so great to have you as a guest on our U2X radio channel. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out. It's very flattering. This is exciting. And right now, he's in control of U2X radio. Matthew McConaughey plays U2. Hey, everybody. McConaughey here coming at you with my favorite U2 licks of the past 40 or more so years. Okay. Uh, to me, that's the, the 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 cherry on the top is uh, McConaughey mm-hmm. hosting his own U two show. Uh, to me, that's that's been the highlight so far. I you know, 
what a great idea. I mean, like, what a great personality to put front and center, first and foremost, first leg out, uh, of, you know, of, of putting this together. Like, McConaughey is just perfect. But, like, I mean, there's so much to talk about about this. What a missed opportunity opportunity for him to play mysterious ways and say it's all right all right all right there you go so i don't know let's let's just go around and talk about like you know your first impressions of this before we get into some of the other topics about it uh mason what did what did what have you liked or so far what or what would you like to hear more of or your just your first impressions so far Right. Uh, well, I'm pretty much a novice when it comes to satellite radio. I've never had Sirius. The only reason I was able to listen to it uh, is because my uh, sister's got a preloaded in her car for Sirius. So I was like, "Oh yeah, Channel 30. Let's see what it's like." And it's it's cool. It's you know it's sort of just like all Sirius radios, Pandora station. I guess one of the things that I was wondering most about was um, how they're going to use it. You know, because we got we have all these shows announced and. You know, uh, they're all they all sound great, but I always I kind of wonder if it's how much into the routine it's going to get built into, or if we're sitting here two years from now and it's like we have one more, you know, inter- interview with Bono or another like one more interview for Madge like every few months, and I'm just wondering how it becomes a part of their own, I guess, habits ecosystem, I guess, and then I kind of just wonder, uh, like a lot of things, what they're what how they're going to use it to showcase new things or you know take you live to a concert or play some random song that didn't make the cut 15 years ago that nobody's ever heard like i want to see how they use it to to show off their own stuff because i can listen to where the streets have no name anytime so like what as what's the incentive for me to listen and so far there's a lot of it and i'm just wondering how they keep that going or if everybody just gets too busy and it kind of falls by the wayside though i'm sure contracts have something to do with that but mm-hmm. that's my for general impression is it's great i just want to see what it looks like in a year or two mm-hmm. ian how about you uh i thought they started off really strong uh i was i mean even that first day where you get bono interviewing chris rock and the mcconaughey uh mysterious musings hour um <laughs> it's it doesn't sound like they're going to be releasing an album anytime like soon, like within the next year or so. Just it, they're still the way they're talking about it in recent interviews um, makes it sound like it, the next album might still be a little ways off. And they also haven't released an album without being able to tour it since I think Passengers. So uh, mm-hmm. if this is a way they can express themselves and like kind of fulfill any sort of creative interests they have. Uh, in a consistent way, um, I think it could potentially be really awesome. They did kind of temper expectations by saying, uh, like, the big interview uh, shows are just going to be monthly. So, I mean, they might be able to ramp those up a bit more. Uh, but, yeah, I thought it's off to a really solid start, and uh, I'm pleased with it. Mm-hmm. Sherry? It is well worth my money. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that Chris Rock interview um, – when Bono interjected, this is a great interview. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great interview. <laughs> the little sparks of surprise or, or you know, um, the uh, depth of um, content on the activism side is what's got me super happy because how many people don't realize that this is a band who has been uh, – uh, activism centered since its earliest uh, uh, days. 
and the band hasn't really come out to say, hey, but we're really activists, even though they've been, you know, every uh, everywhere doing Live Aid and Self Aid and Amnesty International and, and you name it, you know, Net Aid, One, uh, um, all those different things. But they don't realize the depth of the racial uh, 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 activism that they've been uh, behind and the environmental activism that they've been behind and the political activism and all these different areas. So for this station to take its elevation program this morning and dive in with Brian Stevenson about racial inequality and the issues in the United States when it comes to uh, um, being black or brown in America is stuff that we need to hear and the band has this microphone and they're using the channel to educate. So it's not just entertain. I mean, discotheque, that was a great hour with Paul Oakenfold with the, um, with the dance tunes and, and with uh, versions of songs that we hadn't heard before. And, um, you know, I really appreciated Dan Hegarty's show. Dan Hegarty has been a friend of Larry's for decades. Larry wrote the foreword to um, one of his books. Um, so to have some of these other folks into the fold, um, it's great to hear other voices besides just, you know, your your usual uh, um, Dave Fanning. And I love Dave Fanning, but there are other voices in U2's career that are coming onto the station. I love the fact that they're including fans with the Desire program and that they're really encouraging people to send in their five. And, you know, we're only a week in. And they're in it for the long haul. I mean, Pearl Jam Radio has been on for 10 years. I'm anticipating this being a long-term uh, relationship with SiriusXM to, to be a microphone for the band, especially in times like these, they want to be in people's ears to try to put science and truth and data and, and, and what other people from the outside are, are being uh, able to tell folks in this country. Um, I'm waiting for the whole, you're Irish, stop telling us what to do, which will probably come by October if they keep this up. But I'm just very pleased with the content and I can't wait to see how they're going to take it and um, spin it in the months and years to come. Yeah. Two other things I forgot to mention. One, you can now get text messages from the edge, which is awesome. Hmm. And I like that uh, it's an adult station. They don't bleep out words, mm -hmm. and um, they are very activist. They're very like politically focused. It feels like it is a radio station for grown-ups, not something that's kind of been sanitized in a way. Yeah. Are you sure from the edge and not just the edge bot? That we all have to live in our own little fantasies right now. Yeah, <laughs> like when I call the number and I hear Adam, I really want to believe that it's really Adam. <laughs> Saturday, I'm, not, I'm not answering voicemails. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, that whole afternoon of just like, wait, now I have you two on speed dial in my phone. This is insane. But, uh, but a lot of, um, celebrities and, and other artists like have been using this communication tool of, uh, yeah. uh that, you know, to sort of talk, communicate with their fans. And it's, it's, I guess it's very, you know, it's very efficient. Um, Bob it, did it back in 2005 for the one campaign. He would occasionally send you a text to remind you to sign this petition right. for, for your Senator or whatever. So yeah, Bob did my phone for 
what, 15 years? <laughs> so Mason, you were talking about just, you know, how do they keep it going? How do they, um, you know, what what is this going to look like a year from now? And that's what I kind of wonder too. It's very, uh, you know, obviously U2 is a, is a you know, mega corporation. They got a lot of people working for them to keep, you know, generating content and things. But, um, you know, I, I have seen many people, you know, start podcasts and, and, and projects, you know, they, they, they're great when they get off the ground, but then they, they lose momentum um, at some point mm-hmm. and they, then the content is, is less frequent. So it'll be interesting to see like how they keep this going while still producing music and still, you know, producing, you know, tours, hopefully. What about, I mean, other examples of this, uh, Bruce Springsteen has E Street Radio, uh, there's Fish Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, um, and, you know, uh, do you, I, I'm, I'm like Mason, I'm a novice at this. I don't know much about the Sirius XM world. Is uh, is there like an, a, a prime example of how to do this right? I mean, and to keep it fresh and innovative and interesting well, for the fans? Those three stations, yeah, those three stations you just mentioned have live concerts mm-hmm. <laughs> to fill the gap. I mean, when Fish is, was actually on the road, they would have their uh, Fish Tuesday or whatever it was, where they would be broadcasting the show live from the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, which they actually did. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> anytime I can mention the word Uncasville, it's a good day. I thought you were um, just doing it as a bit, but that's real. <laughs> no, 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 they actually did. Um, Pearl Jam, same thing, you know. From Uncasville? Uh, uh, I don't think it was from Uncasville, but, <laughs> um, um, and of course, you know, uh, Springsteen, he's got, you know, a treasure trove oh, of yeah. live shows that they'll, um, that they'll put on there. So I think from a content standpoint, once they start diving into their concert uh, vault, they could go for a solid six months and not repeat a show. Mm. Um, 2021, it could be practically all Octon Baby related content and material and interviews with with the uh, uh, creators and the makers and you know behind the scenes. They could totally ramp that up without question. Um, but you know, I think with Pearl Jam Radio being on for ten years, they're doing something right. Um, Edge said. In one of the interviews, I forget if it was Rolling Stone or in Billboard this week, that, you know, they had a good conversation with um, Springsteen about his station and and, and that. I think uh, because U2 was uh, uh, approached a decade ago to, to do this and they're only doing it now, um, you know, they finally have the time to commit to it. And the fact that they even admitted that they have the time to commit to it means that once they get going, they don't stop generating ideas. So I don't think that they're going to be at a loss for what to do with the station. I think we may just be bored of hearing Miss Sarajevo every six hours if they mm. choose to repeat. Um, I am hoping that they slow down on the musical repeats because you've got a wide variety of, mm-hmm. of tunes to choose from. And, uh, um, and with the content so far, I think that's, been giving you a good variety. The other good thing about Sirius is there's over 100 other stations. So once you get bored, you can go to um, uh, one of my other favorite stations, which is Volume 106. You know, in the mornings you've got um, Nick Carter and Lori Majewski. In the afternoon, you've got Eddie Trunk, you've got Mark Goodman, and and all that. So you've got variety within the whole Sirius realm. 
So once you start feeling bored with U2X radio, you can change the dial and get just as good content from from other stations. I just I think I have kind of two main questions I'm trying to figure out in my head. It's like, are they going to use this downtime to, you know, bank some stuff? You know, Bono, so if he does an interview with Chris Rock, you know, in the morning and then in the afternoon, he does one with X and then Y and then boom, that's three months that you have. And then you can maybe shorten the schedule or like how evergreen, I guess they're, they're just by the nature of this, they can make it as ever, they can make it pretty evergreen where stuff can be held for six months and come out and be, be relevant. Um, and I also, I'm really dying to know, cause it has to happen at some point to know what Larry does with this. If anything, huh. he's uh, been, I would love yeah, a Larry he's been noticeably quiet <laughs> during the whole thing. Yeah. Right? How he's... suspicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would love a Larry movie show. Like he's, he's the actor guy. I want to see what, what he's been watching. I what think watching? Yes. You can actually call it mulling it over, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hit me up, at the movies. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Um, Regarding their playlist, though, um, this was specifically addressed in the recent uh, Rolling Stone interview uh, with Andy Green and Adam Clayton. And Andy's a pretty decent U2 fan. Um, And so he was asking, like, is it all going to be I Will Follow and Where the Streets Have No Name? And Adam specifically addressed the idea that uh, general radio, it's easy to get lost in just the greatest hits. And they are looking to do more deep dives with this. And then, like, uh, Andy even addressed, uh, like, Pete the Chop and Cartoon World. And um, let's see. Uh, Adam's exact quote is, over time, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do that. So it sounds like they're looking uh, for the long haul. Yeah, they're already going deeper into the uh, uh, Octane Baby box set, playing some of the baby versions of the songs. They've um, done... Uh, some um, of the Joshua Tree 20th anniversary box set deeper dives. So, and that's what, you know, made us think, well, why don't we do a deep dive into something that they should be playing more on YouTube X radio, right? (laughs) Right. I have one question for y'all. When I listen to the versions that are being played on Sirius, it sounds like they might be different mixes than some of the, uh, uh, commercially available releases it just sounds like there's certain instruments and stuff that are kind of bumped up in ways that uh the cd and download and vinyl versions aren't i was just curious if anyone else had noticed that i noticed that yeah i i can't say i have but i've been sort of in and out of listening to it and and on my phone like i don't get great sound quality when my phone is my speaker so you know sure, I, sure. I can't notice that those things but deeply. in your car they've they've got it so that different channels so like i'll get something out the back of um passenger rear then i'll get something out of the um the front drivers and back and forth especially with like zuropa or whatever it's either that or i finally have decent enough speakers to pick up on all the nuances that i never heard before because i've had crappy speakers in the house but i have picked up on some of the rumblings or or um um, shoot, there was one song that that played today where I was like, oh my gosh, I never heard that before. Um, it might have been White as Snow. I can't remember. But it was, uh, um, um, I do agree with you, Ian. I think that there are different mixes that they've put in um, specifically for the station. And that would make sense because, I mean, now that you mention it like that, um, if they're anticipating most people listening to it in their cars – they may have mass- remastered some of the songs 
or like remix them, I should say, uh, so that they would be appropriate for how speakers are laid out in a vehicle as opposed to like uh, just two um, on-ear headphones or whatever. So, yeah, that might be it. Yeah. Um, before we get into our, our discussion of the song, I know you've been trying to segue into it. <laughs> um, but I this one last question I want to po- ask you guys, because uh, Ian and Sherry, you were on an episode a while back when we were talking about the state of U2's fan club and how there's been this lack of content in it. And now we have the fan club and the serious station for you know to get more U two related content. And I'm wondering what your if you have any you know thoughts on you know where does the fan club go from here? When, now, when, now that U two is putting a lot of energy into the serious station, um, the fact that the fan club is going to be able to replay uh, some of the serious programs for international. Uh, listeners who can't subscribe uh, to the North American station. I think that's a really good sign. I would not put it past uh, Clear Channel slash Live Nation slash whatever they are now um, to just completely ignore the fact that the serious uh, uh, station exists uh, in regards to the fan club, but the fact that they haven't, the fact that they are uh, making it available for fans who can't immediately subscribe, I do think that's a good sign. Uh, hopefully there will be like more cross-pollination and cooperation. But I don't think that's going to be like every program. It'll probably end up being oh, no, no, a no. calling program. It'll be the close to the edge program. But those are the best ones. It'll be the elevation program. But I don't see the desire stuff being uh, um, uh, shopped back over to YouTube.com. Um, I don't see the fan club getting that type of content. Plus, um, not quite sure. I mean, you've got licensing. Um, I'm sure this is all part of the negotiation because the band feels so strongly about its global audience and the fact that this is focused specifically only for the U S and Canadian audience. It's going to be a easy, uh, please (laughs) for, um, uh, for the paid membership side of the site. I don't, I think it'll end up being a subscriber special, um, I don't think that'll be part of the free content that'll be available because on Sirius you have to pay for this content. Um, right now we're in a listening uh, um, a free listen that'll expire tomorrow. Um, so you have to pay for this content. So perhaps that's how they'll they'll be able to do it. They'll be able to do it behind the firewall as a paid member, uh, but it'll only be the band specific programs and not any of the little in betweens like you know Bono reciting his thoughts about radio or, you know, uh, uh, Adam recalling when Florence and the Machine performed with them or stuff like that. It'll just be those uh, specific programs. Those are the programs that I think, I mean, I personally would most want to listen to. Yeah, the long-form interviews are, are, I think that's kind of the gold of the station as far as I'm concerned. Um, And uh, the, the one with David Byrne, for me personally, was monumental because I've, I'm, was a talking heads freak before I was a U2 freak. So to hear my two, you know, two of my idols talking to each other, <laughs> this was just pure joy. Um, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we're, we're talking about, you know, deep cuts that we want to hear on, on the station and they've, they've been delivering big time, I think. And uh, Mason had the idea of picking a deep cut from one of the albums and discussing it at length and uh you know putting a poll as out voted there. on of course as voted by on everyone. by the listeners by you and uh the the 
song that got the most votes was uh, on, off No Line on the Horizon is the album is that we chose. Which is of an album. If you look at the whole discography, that's probably... Oh, yeah. I mean, besides Passengers... Oh, yeah. If you own No Line, you're a fan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, by the way, and we were, we're, we are aware that we may have chosen the wrong album if we're, count, if we're looking at anniversaries because this is the anniversary of Zuropa. Uh, 27 years. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Blame that on me if you want to. I should have. <laughs> no, known. we just, we just, we were talk, talking about it. No, I offered up No Line. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually, no, the funny thing is I was thinking of that about that one because that's where I was listening to that album when I was like, and I was like, wow, Why Just Snow is a good song. Not that it got picked or anything, but, uh, you know, so. <laughs> Mind meld there. Talk about it. It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. But we just, we know, we know it's the Zuropa anniversary, but we just didn't think of it when we put the poll out. All right. So fine. Um, And so that doesn't mean anything anymore. Exactly. It's fine. But the, 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 that was the song that got the most votes. So that's what we're going to talk about. Let me, let's hear a little clip. Um, so that's a little snippet of a song that is really a, a three-act song. Uh, it's the first act, the second act, and a third act. Uh, that's kind of the way I look at it. And it is one of their, you know, certainly one of their trippiest songs, one of their most experimental songs to appear on an album. Um, it has a, a, a cryptic title. Uh, it's got, you know, I think this is more of a, a, a Brian Eno production than a Daniel Lenoir production. My, my impression of it when I first heard this song was, uh, in fact, it had had a lot to do with like you know Brian Eno being a big. He, he, it was like, oh my god, he he really is back in a big way, in a way it, it, he, like he has a presence in the studio in this album in a way that is you know as big as I've heard since Passengers, um, and I for me that's a gift. Like that was that was awesome. So that was kind of my first impression before you know looking at the song and what it was and what it was about and everything so let's just go around the room and or and just you know get everyone's sort of take a brief take on this song uh and we'll start with ian so for me it kind of bounces back and forth uh with no line on the horizon for being my favorite song on the album whoa Uh, it's got kind of a zuropa-esque feel to it in a way that you two hadn't had for quite a while um i really i like it in albums when they do uh kind of callbacks to other songs on the album and so uh i like the let me in the sound bit at the start of it the callback to get on your boots um even though it's not necessarily the best callback i still like that it happened uh it also feels kind of like a linchpin song in the album like it's the point after uh i'll go crazy slash get on your boots slash stand-up comedy um where the whole album uh, just kind of shifts and starts going into a slightly new direction. Um, I do think that uh, the three songs, the I'll Go Crazy, Get On Your Boots, uh, Stand Up Comedy are kind of out of place on the album. I think they, I think it's one of the reasons why this isn't necessarily the highest album um, in my YouTube catalog, just because it's, those three songs were just kind of a weight that kind of held down the middle of the album, but 
Fez being born is where the album kind of picks up steam again. Um, and yeah, uh, I know in earlier uh, drafts for the track list, um, it was the opening song. And I think it might have worked better there as just kind of a, uh, a a good place to start as opposed to No Line on the Horizon. But yeah, um, it for me, it's the point where the album kind of starts picking up steam again. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with, with your whole assessment of this album. I love the first four songs. I love the last four songs. It's that middle stretch that just like, uh, oh, well. And it's it. it I think it could could have survived two of the three, but yeah. those three together just it was too heavy. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, Sherry, what about you? Um, I'm going to uh, say, "Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned." This is <laughs> an album that I do not rank highly in my um, enjoyment of YouTube's catalog. So this is a song that I've had to push myself through. This is an album I've had to push myself through. And I get it at an esoteric level, but, um, you know, this is um, as an album, and then I'll get into the song, as an album, Bono's writing in character um, instead of in first person. So that was a little jarring after, what, uh, 25 plus years of him writing in first person to say, I'm going to write in character now. Um, So then once you get deeper into the album and you just get, sort of whiplashed with the, um, the with the way that the song starts and it's like you're waking up in, out of a dream and then it hits you like a car crash with that um, keyboard transition from the from the esoteric first uh, uh, minute or so into the rest of it so it's a jarring song that challenges you to um, listen to it all the way through, which is why for a deeper track, it fits all of my uh, check boxes for why are you listening to it? Um, interestingly enough, on the album, if you own the double album, Fez Being Born kicks off the second vinyl as the first track. So the way that the track listing goes, um, the second side of the first vinyl ends with stand-up comedy and then you have to physically, you know, change the album. Um, so it, it's a better mood setter when it, when there's a break between. So listening to this album from start to finish is a completely different experience. If you're listening to it on a CD all at once versus vinyl all at once, I prefer the vinyl over the CD on this one. Um, as far as the song goes as well, you know, there's, there's been uh, uh, a lot written about it, actually. I had to do a little bit of research today to better get into the mind frame. And, you know, Bono's whole take on it is, is that, you know, the character's been a bit AWOL. And this is the song where he thinks about the road trip. And I think this is the song that the whole linear album uh, idea got kicked off from. And then everything just sort of piled in on top of it to create linear, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely something that is a thinker. It's, it's not something you can just sit back and just sip like a fine wine or bottle of diet Pepsi. (laughs) You actually have to think through it. And, and 
I don't know if by the time you get to that point in an album, you want to be thinking, you just want to, you know, be one with the music. And this is not a song that does that for me. And I do think that's one of the reasons why it might've functioned better as the first song on the album, similar to how Zuropa works on Zuropa. Cause mm. Zuropa is similarly, mm. uh, Kind of like two songs put hey, together. Hey, we're talking Zeropa. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mason, um, what about this? Is, I do think. Sorry. Go ahead. This Ian. song could function better like that. Yeah. yeah that's it. Uh, so, no. Mason, what do you? What, what about you? Uh, I really liked uh, what you said, Colin, about this feeling like a three act structure, and I guess I never really thought of it in that way. But it's it's kind of one of those rare rare songs and one of the things i love most about uh the band talking about the the album leading up to it my thoughts on the album are it's it's good it's got good parts doesn't work really as a cohesive unit but moment of surrender is my favorite song so it's worth something uh is that uh you know larry said that they they went away and they were experimenting getting really into northern african music and trying to fit these styles in larry one of my favorite quotes from he's like this is all great but when are we going to start to knock some songs out of this and one of the, I guess one of the main criticisms of the album as a whole that, you know, even I would say is that it really doesn't meet any of the expectations laid upon it. It's not as overall, it's not that experimental and overall it's not that uh, challenging uh, from a traditional sense, except for this one. And I'm always, I'm just kind of fascinated that it actually made the cut because, you know, as Sears of Lebanon is probably the most, um, and Moment of Surrender, but Lebanon more so, is the most kind of unusual song of the whole bunch that for Fez to make the cut and for that to make the cut, I always thought was, you know, giving you a glimpse of what could have been and sort of disservicing the identity of the work as a whole. And, you know, it's just and it's just one of the songs that you, they, that they put out, like, you just can't put yourself in the mindset of, oh, well, this is going to be something we play every night and this is going to be a fan favorite it's just it has none of those kind of qualities that you would think of not just for this band but for any band really so again for it to for it to make it when so many great song other great songs we've heard over the years don't is interesting to me and it all but it's that's not to say it's not a good song because it is i think it's very evocative the lyrics are interesting they're very put you in a time and place in the in the first section then the second section it becomes more emotive and more uh i kind of compare it to like when i when i listen to the song i always think of the the wormhole sequence or whatever you want to call it in 2001 mm. where it's just this flood of colors and and visions and this you know it's it's kind of a soundtrack to an enlightenment in a way and uh i like it for that but i don't like it because of that if that makes any sense <laughs> um it's not one i listen to and i'm not a person that you know goes through no line just on a whim but if i did i'd probably jump over it but um it is <laughs> it's a deep cut for a reason let's just say <laughs> sum it up it's also a cut that that took almost what three years from start to finish um in the um no line on the horizon box set there's a there's an awesome book in there with an interview from Catherine owens where she's interviewing each of the band members and mm-hmm. they focus uh, so much on Fez um, in that book, which is interesting to me. They touch upon a few of the other songs, but not with the type of depth that they did with Fez being born. And, you know, this was a song that started uh, with Rick Rubin 
with mm -hmm. the uh, sessions that the band did with Green Day for the Saints are are coming. Um, so if you go from what 2006 album comes out in 2009, it goes through so many different iterations. Um, I've got two interviews here with Danny Lanois, who basically said that he, you know, pieced it together with um, um, one of Edge's riffs here and this, that, and the other, and um, and that you know Lanois nursed this song into existence. You know, it sounds like it took them three years, and they probably weren't even finished with it, but the album had to go to print, so they had to take it from where it was. Uh, which kind of makes it a little poppy for me, you know, where, where mm. was it finished? <laughs> or yeah. maybe like Elvis Presley in America, it's not going to be finished. It's just going to go on the album, suck it up, buttercup, you know? Uh, yeah. That, that begs the question I'd love to ask is like, what did they want this song to be? And, you know, you can definitely say that, you know, they've never wanted a song to be anything, but realistically, you know, they always have their ear to how it's going to perform on a this, sorry it's my grandma's bird clock give me a second <laughs> that's charming <laughs> is it 333 where you are <laughs> we're gonna what leave that in the that are the numbers falling off the clock face <laughs> we're gonna leave there that go. in the show suck it up I forgot what I was even no, saying that's perfect because you you had the birds in the riad yeah. and, and, oh my gosh <laughs> I hate everything <laughs> wanted to get in on the conversation on the song i think that was a, a swallow if anyone's curious or something i'll can look later um, but, Sorry. <laughs> maybe uh but yeah i i forget where i was but um well i think yeah oh, yeah they always they always kind of have an ear as to what kind of purpose the song is going to serve and they always say oh the song is the song tells us what to do but realistically that's to me that's just kind of just musician mumbo jumbo they know like oh this song we can play this here or this can be used as a segue to that or da 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 and history has shown us i guess that nothing ever kind of came of it and it's just this uh, this little oddity kind of floating around uh you know looking for something to do and yeah you're right Sherry. one of the things i uh, one of the notes i wrote down to my, myself was that it does sound like a sketch and it sounds like it's about it's 15% om on its way to being an actual song and you're right that you know it had to go to press and it is what it is but yeah uh, it's it's frustrating in that sense but it's kind of it's it's nice in another sense to see something that isn't you know run through the ringer of approvals and that it just kind of has to come out as it comes out and a little bit rough around the edges so to speak see for me i feel like completely the opposite for me it's kind of the arrowhead of the album um Ah. It's like the focal point because uh, the, the whole album is, a. I mean, it's, it's, I think it was when Bono was kind of like crystallizing his uh, ideas of like um, North, well, his current ideas of North Africa and how it relates to Southern Europe and the like U2's houses in Southern France versus uh, the folks just across the water. And like, I mean, he talks about how it's the story of a, Parisian cop, um, I think of uh, Moroccan descent, who mm -hmm. is tired of living in France. And so he just gets on his bike and heads down um, to the south of Spain, uh, Cadiz, where uh, you can see Africa. And from, I know that there are components of the album that are supposed to be evocative of like North Africa and the Middle East, like um, 
why does snow is supposed to be about uh, an Afghan uh, soldier who uh, is mm-hmm. in his dying moments and uh, yeah, from an IUD, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Caesars of Lebanon uh, has clear Middle Eastern connotations. Um, so, I mean, that kind of perfume kind of like sense the entire album. And this is kind of the mental, I guess, trip uh, that the person takes leaving Europe and heading to that part of the world. And for me, it's uh, a big portion of it is just how evocative it is of traveling. Like Mm. at the start when they have the dun, 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 dun. I mean, for me, I just see like driving along the Mediterranean Sea. Um, Mm. That's what that music like puts me in the mind of. And um, they kind of like combine uh, the idea of rebirth or whatever uh, with driving. um, um, uh, what What are the exact lines? Uh, yeah, it was like six o'clock on the outer route, burning rubber, burning chrome, uh, and uh, I'm being born a bleeding start. Or let's see, let's see, where is it? A bleeding start. Yeah, the engines roar, blood curdling wail. It's it's kind of like the rebirth from leaving Europe and going to Africa, uh, combined with the actual practical activity of driving there. Which makes more sense that the working titles for the song were Chromium Chords and Tripoli. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I um it's surprising for me to hear uh that <laughs> Rick Rubin and Daniel Lanois had a bigger had such a big hand in this song cuz it doesn't sound like anything that they would normally produce on their own whereas and I'm always going to jump back to Eno uh for this because I I listen to a lot of his solo work and the collaborative stuff that he does with other artists uh including David Byrne and um and a lot of his stuff sounds like stuff in this song. Um, just the, the the musical landscape of it, the sort of surrealism uh, in, in the lyrics um, that you have to kind of pick apart. Uh, you know, it's about another character. And, you know, the sort of the, the, in the third part of the song where it sounds more like, you know, chants, you know, it's multiple voices in there. It's not just Bono and, and Eno's one of those voices. And, you know, that's stuff that he does a lot in his solo work while also like name dropping obscure locations to sort of give the song a geography as well. And so when I hear this song, it's like that's it's it, it, to me, it's one of the most exciting U2 songs because they don't do stuff like this very often. Um, it, Good point. And, you know, I, I you know, as far as like, you know, sort of nursing it and, and shaping it into a, a proper song, I, I like that it doesn't have a proper, you know, song structure. It's not verse, chorus, bridge, you know, all that. It's just this, you know, sort of oddball um, time and place that Bono is, and, 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 and the rest of the band are, are putting the listener into. And it's also like this album is the first of theirs, I think to do a recall to another song on the album, the let me in the sound thing. And I think if, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that this album came out or was being recorded at around the same time. They were also doing the Spider-Man musical. And that's a very Broadway thing to do is to recall the songs throughout the show, you know, just keep coming back to them. 
Um, Lozano did say that the writing for for Broadway uh, made him a better songwriter. Mm-hmm. So, so you're definitely onto something there with the um, with the writing there. And and it's a story. And and Spider Man, you know, isn't about you too. It's about Spider Man. So that he's getting into storytelling and writing from another you know character's perspective too, which is also you know definitely feeding into this album. And so, yeah, I, 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 am fascinated by this track. I, I, I'm glad that we, we get to talk about it because, um, I think there's just a, a lot to unpack here. Do you, do, can you guys imagine any scenario where they would play this live, Sherry? No, as long as it's not at a one hundred dollar drive-in concert, I'd be okay with it. Even I'd then, okay no. In the same way, I, I could picture them performing uh, 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 Elvis Presley in America. I don't even think anybody knows what the lyrics actually are, even though we've tried to mm-hmm. figure those out. At least we know what the lyrics are for this song. <laughs> well, so, like, uh, speaking of the lyrics, um, so one of the things that Bono's really been focused on, uh, kind of since basically starting with Atomic Bomb, is the idea of being born. Or like birth, mm. um, so like uh, in all because of you. There's the uh, I was born a child of grace. I'm alive. I'm being born, and it's kind of like the idea of rebirth as an adult. And then you go to like Yahweh, and it's Yahweh, Yahweh, always the pain before a child is born. And it's it's combining the idea of like original natal birth with kind of rebirth as an adult with the pain that has to go through um any of those processes and like magnificent i was born i was born to be with you uh in the space and time i was born born to sing for you i didn't have a choice like there's no choice in it uh you are just born um then you look at like winter at 21 i was born a son and on that day i knew i could kill um then you go after that and you've got um uh lights of home i was born from a screaming sound i could see the lights in front of me and then uh, Crystal Ballroom, which is all about um, uh, how when people are born, they kind of portend the death of their parents, where the ghosts of love uh, in every face and all that. And this song for me is also kind of lyrically kind of the ultimate distillation of it, um, where uh, um, it, again, uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, I'm being born, a bleeding start, the engines roar, a blood-curdling wail, uh, head foot, head first, then foot, and then heart sets sail. Uh, and it, it, it's, for me, it's kind of like, yeah, like I said, the ultimate distillation of this kind of being born and the pain of birth and rebirth uh, that comes with life that Bono's been trying to like get his head around for the past 15 years or so. That's really interesting. I never thought about, about it like that. Hmm. And he even said that the the song is sort of reminded him of a flower coming into into you know being. Might be a little bit too aggressive for this nice sweet little flower, but it <laughs> certainly it, do, it does serve the greater metaphor. Because at that point, uh, I think his yeah he all of his kids have been born by the time of atomic bomb, correct? And then yeah, his dad he, died. So yeah, that is that has been pretty long standing kind of obsession. That he's sort of been, they've all been sort of trying to get their arms around, I suppose. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, I, w- I would think, I would, oh, I don't know. I'm totally being 
uh, which this is totally wishful thinking, but like I would think maybe you could lurk in a snippet of the song at the end of another song somehow in a live setting. I don't know. Um, Cause all those things that you'd mentioned, Ian, I think are, are, it's very true. It's a, it's, it is not, it is an ongoing theme uh, that, that he, that he grapples with. So I, I don't think it's totally outside the realm of possibility, but you know, as, a, as far as I'm doing the whole song front to back, no, <laughs> I agree, Sherry. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, in a brief, in a, in a nice moment of inspiration, I'm, 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 I'm hearing the songs in my head. So I, I don't know how well this work if you actually did it, but I feel like the last uh, few chords of Fez being born would actually work really well, segueing into "I Will" F- or not "I Will Fall" into "All Because of You." I was how goes and then oh wow, I gotta try that later. Yeah, see if you can make that. Yeah, you got to get the the guitar sound at the beginning of all. You said all all because of you, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, not all I want is you, but all because of you. Uh, the opening, uh, the opening yeah. guitar track to me, like sounds like Fred Flintstone running in place, which is always amuses me about that. Um, <laughs> well, going back, yeah, yeah. back to the being born idea, um, mm-hmm. another thing that that Bono mentioned in his interview with Catherine um, Owens in the uh, box set book was, as you know from our DNA's point of view, Africa is where we all come from. So I suppose I relate in some strange way to this feeling of Africa as home. I really do. And I'm not the only European that does, especially somewhere like um, Masiamara in Kenya, which local legend claims to be the Garden of Eden, which is where everything was born from a book, from a biblical standpoint. Mm-hmm. So getting back to that whole born um, theme, uh, I think if you look at that as the heart of the album, then you're right. I think this should have been the start of the album instead of No Line on the Horizon. And then to start with that heartbeat and then follow through on that uh, on that personal journey that his character. And then, like if you listen to the start of uh, the second part of the song, where Bono's just screaming, um, to me it's always sounded kind of evocative of childhood. Oh yeah, like. Just the scream of the pain of um, uh, the birth or the rebirth. Um, not just he's not just singing about how hard it is emotionally or whatever. He's actually just screaming out loud like someone giving birth. Yeah, was it who, Ian? Was it you or somebody on our? Unless you're heavily medicated like I was, in which case there was no screaming. <laughs> he, he he may have been heavily medicated <laughs> and screaming at the same time. Ian, was it was it you or heavily inebriated? Was who was it that on our staff? Someone on our staff uh, did a track listing, a rearrangement of "No Line on the Horizon" that I thought was really brilliant. I think that was me. Was that you, Mason? Okay, I think so. That sounds familiar. I've definitely done that before because that's one of my. The, I, I didn't brought it up yet, but the main one of the biggest bones I have to pick with this album is that it's arranged horrendously, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, it needs to be cut and then shuffled around. And I, I, I can. I think I might have that somewhere. Give me one second. Yeah, and I think, um, I, and I tried it. I tried your version. If it if it was you, I I, I tried your version of it, and uh, and I thought it was brilliant. And I thought, man, Thank this you. movie, this I mean, this album would have been uh, assessed in a much different way had it had the running order you know been this. Uh, in the same way, there. if Magnificent was the first single off the album, and 
that get on your boots. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Magnificent or No Line should have been the first single. Get on your boots might have worked as like the fourth single, but should not have been the opener. Now, uh, as far as a deep cut for this album, you know, there aren't a lot of B-sides for this album, but there's a song called Winter that appears on the deluxe version of this record. Great, great song. Uh, yeah. Great, great I, song. And uh, I, that's, that's a song I'd love to hear pop up on the XM station. Um, and it's kind of surprising that that didn't make the cut of this album either. So I've I've actually thought about that, and I think it might be because um, it's kind of the opposite side of the coin to White as Snow. White as Snow is about um, uh, Afghans who have died mm. because of the conflict in their country, and Winter is about a Western soldier who has gone to uh, participate in the conflict in their country. And I don't know if they wanted that juxtaposition so clearly... Um, uh, stated on the album. You think they would run um, the risk I, of it looking at like a concept album? Uh, potentially. Um, honestly, I, I think the album itself would have been better if they had dropped stand-up comedy and included winter. Yeah. But uh, the two songs um, thematically are just so close to each other, but from mm-hmm. the North and South sides of the river, so to speak. Uh, and I don't know if that might've had a role in deciding which songs were included. Okay. Mason, did you find uh, that? No, it's okay. buried deep, deep, <laughs> okay. deep inside. If I did it, that's I'm 60% <laughs> sure Somebody I did. Somebody in our staff did it, but yeah. <laughs> Sounds like something I would do though. Cause I, it's my a big stone in my shoe. Okay. When it comes to winter edge, described that song as being too close to the U2 sound and the U2 form. Mm, okay. So it might not have made the cut because it sounded too U2y. As opposed to the other songs that made the cut that are exactly. too U2-y. Yeah. I, just, I guess it, it's just going to bug me forever that Fez is on the same album as Breathe. Both good songs. They just they share absolutely no DNA and do not need to be on the same album. And it's just this uh, it needs. I don't know. One of the things I'm really hoping for out of this radio station is to one day hear some of the songs that didn't make the cut, so to speak. And I just uh, the, no line needs work for sure. And that juxtaposition idea, that didn't stop them in in uh, 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 2014 when they released the deluxe version of uh, um, Songs of Innocence, where they had uh, Sleep Like a Baby with the with the juxtaposition. Yeah, the ultimate. Uh, and the Troubles. Yeah, the that, ultimate versions. But that was, that was the same song, and they were released as bonus tracks. Um I personally mm-hmm. would have liked to have Winter be like one of the main album tracks. Just it's such a better song. <laughs> and Winter also is on Linear, is it not? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the, that that film that Anton Corbine made, I think, represents uh, one of the original track listing ideas right. that they had. I guess. I so did. you get to you get oh. to chop one song off of this album. Which one do you chop? Oh, stand up comedy. Okay, I agree. Easy. I agree. There, there are three songs in U2's catalog that I will skip. One is With a Shout, one is uh, Love Rescue Me, and one is Stand Up Comedy. Wow, them really? fighting words. Love yeah. Rescue Me, really? Oh, God, it doesn't feel like a U2 song in any way, shape, uh, or form. So you don't skip A Man and a Woman? Oh, I love A Man and a Woman. Great song. Great song. 
Uh, what? Do, hmm. I like stand-up comedy, so I'm not cutting that. No way. A lot of our Good listeners song. do. Some people on Twitter were like, were like Fun song. defending it. So it's got a weird title. All about it. Uh, prop. I mean, with this, you have to cut like three. But if you make, if you, you know, gun to my head, make me cut one. Probably Cedars of Lebanon. But sorry, just it doesn't fit. Like it, it something. It, it fits the least. I think it doesn't have big drums or an electric guitar, and you know. This album's got a lot of problems, and on it, it would be on the better version of No Line, probably, but not in the doesn't fit with the ones that are already there, it's, in my opinion. For Sears, what really sells me is the very end. Choose your enemies carefully because they will define you. Mm. Make them interesting because, in some ways, they will mind you. They're not there in the beginning, but when your story ends, they're going to last with you longer than your friends. Mm-hmm. That was that to myself line. in the That's mirror every morning. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I first heard that. Uh, when I first sat down and listened to this album, I like immediately rewound it to, you know, or backtrack, whatever, uh, to like the last 20 seconds. I'm like, did they really just end the album with that? You know, like, wow. It, it is a mic drop. I'm not going to deny man. that. <laughs> that's wow. Uh, that's that's when I, I knew I was all sold on this album. Totally. Um, OK, so uh, any other final thoughts on, on Fez or Sirius XM or anything else before we, we get out of here? I think I think I'll just sum up for Fez is it just it came at the wrong time. Kind of like it's it's sort of like a an unexpected birth. It, it, it came when it came and it if it was like if it came a couple years earlier in the process, maybe towards the end of dismantle recording, they had more time to think on it and figure it out. I'm not saying it would be like a play at every concert kind of song, but it certainly time would have uh, been a been a benefit to it. And maybe they'll get it figure it out one of these days, but um, there probably isn't that much of a rush to it. But it, it goes up, it goes down as one of the bigger what ifs, like what if this song worked uh, kind of songs for them. And you know, not mm-hmm. my favorite, not one of my favorites, but like you, like somebody said, it's just too interesting to not be fascinated by. I guess. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Ian? Sherry? I think this song could have worked as kind of like the pre-recorded intro to the 360 tour. Um, Not them actually performing it, but uh, just kind of the hype-up music before they start playing the first song. Uh, Breather, whatever they were playing at the time. Soon. Yes. uh, Yeah, maybe instead of soon. Um, Or Stingray uh, Guitar. Yeah, or um, even better than the real thing. Uh, I, it's, I think it would have been a bad song played live. I think it would have been a terrible single. I think it's one of the best songs on the album though. And I really enjoy just how evocative and rich and, um, purposeful it is. It doesn't feel, it's got a very specific message and a very specific direction. And I really appreciate it for that. And the fact that it was willing to get, a little bit weird sonically in a way that you two hadn't been for quite a while. Sherry? It does appear that, sorry, I I was uh, uh, going onto YouTube, that Fez did uh, uh, blend in a little bit with City of Blinding Lights on 360. There's something on YouTube from um, the Brazil show. I'll look that up after. Hmm. They uh, um, used a snippet of it, but I haven't listened to it in its entirety. Okay. but it does appear that they did toy with it a little bit. Okay, cool. Um, 
yeah, I'm 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 a fan of this song. Always will be. It's a fascinating track uh, that that for Let's me get never, Edge never gets about old. it on Sirius XM. Let's get him doing a, a little intro about it before they play it. Absolutely. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Well, we all have his phone number now, so we yeah. can. <laughs> it's text. It's everybody text Edge. You need to introduce Fez being born on Sirius XM. It needs to happen right now. He'll be like, "What the heck is happening?" <laughs> Anyone need the phone number? <laughs> it's easy to get. Just go is on there. J thirty three three or no? Did they change it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no three thirty three in that phone number. I'm surprised. Oh man. Okay. Well, guys, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Sherry, where can everybody reach you? At YouTube.com or at YouTube.com Sherry uh, on uh, Twitter. That's the best spot to find me. Okay. Ian? Uh, at Ian P. Ryan on Twitter. All right. Mason? Also at Ian P. Ryan on Twitter. No. Um, oh. at, <laughs> at not Mason Merritt on Twitter. Okay. Uh, and you can reach me at uh, lots well, of uh, Christmas movies, actually. Pod- no, not the, that's my po- other, other podcast. Um you can you can t- you can tweet me at me at uh, Colin underscore Suter. Um, I I'm not very active on my Twitter page, but I I will try to be. So, all right, that's it for us, and uh, we'll see you next time in the at U two podcast. Bye bye. Wear a mask. This again. What Ian? Let's do this again soon. Okay. <laughs> and wear a mask. Wear a, mask. Wear a damn mask. mask. <laughs> right. Put on your mask. Yeah. Get yourself a beautiful. <laughs> Full zero for that. This is a great interview.